HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's November 20th, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We're sponsored by GreatBrewers.com. They'll bring the online connection to the world of craft beer to you. And also thanks to the Good Beer Seal, GoodBeerSeal.com. I've got two great guests on tonight. Our good friend Garrett Oliver, brewmaster from Brooklyn Brewery. And Ken Landon, the owner of Crossroads Brewing Company, a new small brew pub up in Athens, New York. And we'll also be talking to Dave Miller, author of Brew Like a Pro, uh, on the second segment tonight. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Cheers. Cheers. Good to see you. You know, Garrett, it's been a little while. Um, What's been going on the last couple of months with you? Uh, We've been having a bit of fun. Uh, We we hired four new brewers in the last last six weeks or so, Uh, put in eight uh, 200-barrel tanks. And I just got back from Brazil where we did our latest collaboration. Wow, with a certain brewery? With a certain brewery called Vals. Uh I've known those guys for a long time, been going down to Brazil a lot for the last uh, six or seven years. And, uh, you know, we started selling some beer down there. So um, I had this idea that actually came to me when we were at St. Somewhere, a uh, great little brewery down in Florida. And I saw this sugarcane around and I said, boy, wouldn't it be cool if we could make a beer from sugarcane? And when the guys from Vault said that they wanted to do something together, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, we really put it together. Um, I give a lot of kudos to those guys because it wasn't that easy to put this idea in motion. But we, would, we, we cut 700 pounds worth of – actually, 700 kilos worth of sugar cane. Uh, and we trucked it back to the brewery. And then we had a crusher there at the brewery. And we crushed the sugar cane directly into the kettle. And it made up about 15% of the sugars in this uh, beer called Saison de Caipira. And Caipira kind of it means country bumpkin kind of guy. So it's a, it's a farmhouse sale with 15% straight cane juice. Wow. And are you going to be selling that here in New York too? Uh, we'll probably get some in just to bring to events. But, you know, by and large, it's going to be down there. Vals is a small brewery. They don't, they don't sell in the United States. Um, but they're good pals. And, you know, what was cool about it is that it's a collaboration that I – couldn't really do here. We don't have sugarcane, so 
I learned a lot about sugarcane, and it's uh, you ever talk about unskilled labor, like you know, cutting things with a machete. It's actually a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> so you, you find it interesting to to work with traditional ingredients, regional ingredients, and, and new ways with beer, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think you know we were the first brewery anywhere to do collaborations. You know, um, uh, back in 1997. I mean, well before it became a you know a fad. You know, or you know, I shouldn't say a fad, a you know, a tradition, a new tradition of American brewing, which is great. But these days, I always want to do stuff that's not just oh look, uh, you know, this brewery and that brewery are together. We only do stuff with people that we know, that we already hang out with, that are already our friends, and we want to do something that you know is new and bring some new ideas to things. So, I mean, probably, so- I'm sure someone's done this before, but I never heard of it, so <laughs> it's new to us. Well, I hope I hope we can try that beer when it's ready. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So your, your strategy at Brooklyn Brewery, I, mean, I know you guys are doing some export. I know that you've been selling in Sweden. Yep. And I, I follow your blog, and I know that you've got this thing, the food experiment guys, Nick and Theo, and they seem to go where you guys have your beer. So uh, how, what's the Sweden connection? Well, you know, the whole that whole thing is evolving, but the Sweden connection is a long story, but basically I won an award in 2003 called the Sempa Ardens Priest. Um uh, in for beer culture in Denmark, and that kind of starting us started us rolling in Scandinavia. So believe it or not, the funny little thing about Brooklyn Brewery is, despite the fact that we're still a relatively small brewery, um, uh, you know, many of the other brewer- craft breweries think of our many times our size, but uh, the number two market for Brooklyn Brewery outside of New York City itself is Sweden. Wow, that's uh, we, we, we sell a full twenty percent of our beer overseas. But, you know, we were always traveling people, and that's kind of where Brooklyn Brewery comes from. Steve Handy, me, it comes out of being overseas. So the idea that we would ever stay home would be ridiculous in the first place. We never stayed home. We were overseas by 1990. And then, um, you know, with some of your newer beers like uh, the Brewmasters Reserve Series, is that really geared towards New York, or are you also exporting those as well? We don't export those, uh, at least not yet. We'll send them to festivals and over for events. You know, we'll do tap takeovers in places like Stockholm and have, you know, 15 or 20 taps up. Um, but these days, that's becoming something that a lot of people, you know, do. I mean, uh, you know, Nickler can probably put up more beers, you know, <laughs> you know, at Jimmy's today than I can. You know, it's, you know, 30 or 40 different beers. So, um, you know, it's just a, a fun thing to do. But, you know, we're getting we're in 17 countries, you know, and we're getting particularly every one of our brewing team is going to be doing an overseas project this year. Uh, so we got a lot of stuff going on. It's uh, you know it, it's in it's in high gear, just the same way as it is for everybody. Well, you've also been making some some new specialty beers, like the Brooklyn Defender. That was a really great beer. I mean, we got two kegs and that just flew out. And it was like when I realized how good it was, it, it was gone. And yeah. now you've got this. Uh, the, there will be black, the black IPA. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, specifically, we didn't call it a black IPA. You'll notice if you, uh, in fact, uh, you know, we talked about in our in my write up for I talked about how it's not I, it's not black IPA because black is not pale, um, and you know there. Uh, but the whole the whole idea of the name there will be black comes partly out of making fun of the idea of black IPA, which to me is ridiculous. Um, and actually, I, I was really gratified to see judging the Great American Beer Festival this year that. Black IPA, which was there uh, last year, has now gone away, and it's called American Black Ale because too many people had objected. Um, 
Well, I, I, one thing I like about the black American black ale, aka black IPA, I kind of like where it's going because I've seen also a lot of like red red ales that have the high IBUs. Like Maine has their Zoe, and there's a couple others. Carton locally has this red rye. It's like rye hoppiness, and no one's calling them IPAs. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's just uh, you know, it, it's 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 it gets boring after a while, you know, to argue about it. I actually get, have a lot of fun arguing about it, but. Um, yeah, I think nomenclature is important, and if you're going to call everything that's hoppy is now some kind of IPA, then eventually IPA doesn't mean anything at all. You know, so if you cross a horse with a dog, you know, you, you don't get a, it's like, well, what do you get? Well, it's not a kind of dog; it's something else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a horse dog; it's a dog horse. You know. Well, the, uh, the worst example is white IPA. I was lucky to sit in with an Ale Street News tasting panel the other day, and the surprise was, with Paul Sullivan. The surprise was, oh, it's white IPA. And the, and the consensus was is that's not really a style yet. Well, you know, I guess it's, uh, you know, you decide when the horse is out of the barn. You know, there's a, a very wide range of opinion out there. Some people think, you know, anything goes. And I think everything go, anything goes for beer. But names, well, you know, uh, language is power. And it's one thing the French will definitely tell you about is one of the reasons why, and you as a chef know this, one reason why French food is so powerful in the world is not because they invented most of that stuff. Most of their food was invented by the Italians, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, this sort of haute cuisine. But the fact that when you say hollandaise sauce, it means only one thing. You know, hollandaise sauce is hollandaise sauce. You can walk into a, a place in Cambodia and say to a chef, make me hollandaise sauce. And there's no question as to what it means. You know, and champagne is champagne. And that gives cultural force. You know, and you can tell your stories. You can transmit your information. We have such great stories to tell. We don't need to, uh, 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 you know, make up new names that other people will be talking about in 200 years. They'll say, I I brewed or whatever, and you will have made it up, you know, in 2013. That's awesome. I mean, when we made Weiss beer with uh, Hans-Peter Drexler, we didn't call it Weiss IPA. I made up a word, Hopfenweiss. Well, people should make stuff up. You're going to be creative. That's one of my favorite beers. Yeah. Well, you know, funny thing is people think that it's an actual beer style now. Yep, maybe it should be. Well, you're right about styles, and we can hear too. Like you know, with the small, the small American breweries. Well, first let's let's dive into the small American brewery thing. You know, a lot. Some of the other day, someone asked me, you know, what's the definition of a nano brewery? And I had to step back and I said, you know, first of all, no one even knows what craft breweries are because the <laughs> the term is so broad. But I said, for the average person, I still think they relate to this this name microbrewery. You know, so but you've got Kenny Crossroads up in Athens, New York. You're like making what six hundred barrels a year or something. Yeah, we're probably on track this year to do uh, about eight hundred barrels. So you're like a brew pub microbrewery. Um, and when you're talking about these styles, like our friends at Carton in New Jersey, th- they're only making beers with their own name. So it's the opposite of codifying, uh, you know, a set style. They're saying they have a beer that I call a hoppy Kolsch. They they call it their boat beer. And they say it's a session ale because they're afraid. First, they're afraid of being judged by you know the people on the beer judge certification program. They don't want to be compared to a traditional style like Kolsch. The same way you're saying Hollandaise or Champagne have you know standards. Uh, but with you guys being real small breweries making new new beers, I mean, do you feel like you have to label it something an IPA, or do you feel like you're taking creative license uh, and making up your own names? You know, that's that's tough. We we we, we definitely want to stay. Um, Along the lines, we, we want to have fun with the with the, uh, the the actual names of the beers. But as far as sticking with the traditional styles, you know, it is what it is. We're going to call an IPA an IPA. We're going to call a saison a saison, and so forth. So, uh, but I, I so you're agree. just you're trying to stick with traditional styles, pretty much. I mean, Hutch Hutch, the, our brewer, he's uh, 
you know, he's given full reign to, to really experiment and do whatever he wants. Um, so he has a tendency to, to, especially this time of year, he's brewing some stronger ales and some, uh, you know, um, some Belgians, stronger Belgians. So it's interesting. It's fun. And, and again, with the name, we try and have fun with the names of our beers as well. Um, so what are some of the beers you brought for us tonight, Ken? Like the names and what style they are? Uh, well, actually, our kind of our, our signature beer is Outrage IPA. Um, and kind of how that name came about is basically at the end of the day, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. So that's how we got outraged. Um, our, our seasonal is a, a coffee porter, and we call that Fat Boy Porter. <laughs> so we just, you know, we're just having fun with the names. Um, uh, sticking with the, you know, the styles, traditional styles. Um, again, you're we're, we're, making good beer. Like last year, you won at New York Tap, you won Best Hudson Valley Brewery. Yeah. You yeah. guys are still small. You know, you got a seven-barrel system, so... Yeah. Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm glad you're on it. And with Garrett here, I, I hope you guys can have a little dialogue, because I want Garrett to weigh in on, you know, you, you've been doing this a while. You, you started as a home brewer, and, um, you know, what, what advice do you have for these small brew pubs and, you know, these new microbreweries that are out there just, just setting up with small systems? You know, how do you see it from when you guys started to where you are now? You know, any advice for them? Well, I don't, I don't think I have advice. They're obviously doing great. I mean, what... Uh, uh, you know, I don't. I don't think they need any uh, any advice from me. Well, it's interesting is to watch the whole thing develop, and people go through some of the same stuff that we did. You know, whether you're considering it like you know a, a, a good thing or, or not. You know, we we self distributed for a long time, and then it ended up with 200 different brands that we were selling. And because in 1990, nobody would put an amber beer on a truck and sell it to anybody. And then Sierra Nevada came to us and said, nobody will take our beer either. Will you take it? And we're like, okay, we'll put your beer on our truck. And then Chimay came and said, nobody wants our beer. Can you put it on our truck? And we wanted to fill our trucks up so that at least when the truck showed up, we would drop off 10 cases instead of two and not lose money every time we stopped the truck. And that was really what it was about. And we ended up with a distribution company that we later ended up uh, uh, upselling. Um, but for a long time, you know, that was a big part of uh, our business was, you know, distributing not just our beer, but, you know, almost all of our competitors. And Kenny, you, so you're also doing that too, like self-distributing, right? Yeah, I self-distribute uh, up in the, the Hudson Valley, uh, Albany. Uh, we come down as far as uh, Newburgh, um, but we we want self-distribution to us, uh, especially as we, we're in a growing phase. I want to hear about any of the problems immediately. I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle. If there is an issue with one of our products out there, I want it to come directly to me. Um, I want to handle the problem immediately and figure out what went wrong um, and, and make sure that everyone's happy in the long run. So, And then you also distribute in New York, right? Yes, we do. We, uh, we, we work with American Beer. Um, we send uh, approximately we send about 32, 32 kegs a month down to these guys, um, and they do a great job putting it out into the marketplace in, in Brooklyn and Manhattan. And we're very happy. That's great. All right, guys, thanks for coming on. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Cheaters by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org.
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in Bushwick. We're going to have a pizza with uh, some beer tonight, and uh, we've got Ken from Crossroads and Garrett Oliver from Broken Brewery. Garrett, what were you saying about IPAs and this black IPA thing? Well, I mean, uh, uh, we were just talking about it during uh, you know during the break. I mean, if you if you read uh, Mitch Steele's new book, you know, I mean, I know that he has a different perspective on it because there is a a black beer on the cover of his book IPA. Uh, so, you know, he kind of veers off uh, into that, and you can ask him his own opinion. Um, but, you know, IPA was never black. And, of course, the pale, the P uh, uh, in IPA stands for pale, and IPAs were quite pale. Uh, so, you know, what if you're going to put the name IPA on every hoppy beer you ever make, then how many kinds of IPA are there going to be? And IPA will just mean hoppy? Mm-hmm. Is that what it means? Hoppy and slightly strong, no matter what? Unless it has a Belgian yeast, and maybe then it's Belgian double imperial IPA. You know, I think uh, if you look even at our beers, Brooklyn Lager is, you know, is by far our number one selling beer. You find it all over the place. And, you know, what, what style is Brooklyn Lager? Brooklyn Lager is Brooklyn Lager style. Local one is local one. It doesn't say local one Saison or local one triple or local one Belgian strong golden. It's like, uh, I know it's easier to sell things, but, you know, the... Uh, and you know it's easy to communicate and when people come to you during a beer festival that's when it gets really hard you know because you know the way it is you're standing there at the bar you know hi what would you like and it's like what is it and you got to get it out really fast um but i'm not going to go there i'm not calling an american wheat beer hefeweizen you know because people like the word hefeweizen hefeweizen is hefeweizen you know and it has a certain set of flavors and it means something you know i mean i have you know, a flavor and aroma in my head when you say Hefeweizen, and I want it to stay there. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to personally ruin that by calling it, you know, Hefeweizen IPA. So Hopfenweizen, you know, which you can say, well, what does that mean? And then I can explain it to you. <laughs> well, it is a catchy name. Hey, we're going to take one step back. We've got a call-in guest, uh, Dave Miller, who is a, a former brewer at uh, Blackstone Brewery in Nashville, started as a home brewer, uh, has a new book out called Brew Like a Pro. And Dave, thanks for calling in today. How are you? Doing fine, thank you. You know, I was thinking about a couple of things. First, you know, Garrett's a great author. One of my favorite beer books ever is The Good Beer Book that Garrett wrote in 1997 with Timothy Harper. I don't know if any of you even remember that book, but it was a book that I read in the 90s and then I found again 10 years later and reread. And uh, so he's sitting here with us tonight, and uh, Ken, the owner of Crossroads Brewing, a, a small brew pub up in uh, Athens, New York. So uh, your background is really interesting. I know that you started as a home brewer. And you were an award-winning home brewer, and you, you disparaged your achievements. You said in 1981, uh, you know, you were just getting started. And you went on to be the professional brewer at Blackstone in Nashville. Um, your book's really interesting. Tell us why, why you wrote this book, Brew Like a Pro. Um, well, I wrote the book because uh, I, I retired uh, from pub brewing in 2008. And uh, after a suitable period to recover from you know, just having to brew every day so that, you know, it wasn't really fun anymore. You know, it was my profession. I was proud of it. I was happy to do it. But it's it, it wasn't a hobby anymore. After I'd been out of brewing for uh, about a year, I got the itch to homebrew again, and I started doing it. And uh, that led to the book because uh, I found myself approaching the uh, problems of making beer at home uh, in the light of my experience as a as a professional brewer, 
and I, I hope to uh, contribute some insight from you know that side of uh, of the the brewing world uh, to uh, to other home brewers who are you know faced with uh, choices about how to make beer. So let's go way back. So uh, I'm, I'm from your book. You said that when you first started out as a home brewer, um, one of the epiphanies you had was you realized you wanted to make all grain brewing. Oh yeah. And uh, tell tell us why that's important, and uh, you know what what people can learn from you in that regard. Well, let's just look. Beer is made from grain. That's that's what defines beer is that it's made from grain, specifically from mainly malted barley, maybe malted wheat or a few other things. But that's what makes beer beer. Uh, if you you know you could you could call something made from uh, malt extract or some other product beer, but you you won't get the same flavor out of it. You know, making making an extract out of malted barley <laughs> changes it, and you just simply don't get the, the same flavor profiles, uh, and that's what I found impossible, you know, almost right from the beginning. I was trying to make beer that tasted like the beer I was, you know, buying in the stores, and I, I couldn't do it, and that's what led me to decide that, you know, I was go whole hog, try to make beer from grain, or just give up altogether. And then since then, you said homebrewing has come a long way since 1981. You've, you've actually been a professional brewer. Um, so what were you missing when, when you got out of working in a brew pub? What was missing for you as a home brewer? What was missing for me? I, I just found that I still enjoyed working with the ingredients and, uh, you know, uh, engaging in the process of making beer. It's, a, it's an outlet for, for your creativity. And uh, frankly, you know, with all the, all, the, all the many wonderful things about brewing professionally, uh, there's, you, there's less chance to indulge your creativity when you're a professional than there is when, you, when, you're, when, you're, when you're home brewing. And you, you don't have to answer to anything except your own taste as far as uh, what you do. All right. Gary, do you want to ask any questions? Well, you know, it's, it's, an, inter- it's an interesting thing. You know, I'm, 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 I'm looking through the book, and I just want to point out to everybody, this, this book, I don't know whose copy this is. It must have about 100 <laughs> Post-it notes stuck to the edge of it. So someone's been reading this very closely, you know, which is always a good, a cool thing That's, to see. You're on the right team. The Brio Connor, our producer, the yeah. Sessions Radio team, has gone through this book. Yeah, no, I've, I've never seen a book And we approve flat. of it. Brew like, Dave, we, Dave we, really are, we really like your book, Brew Like a Pro. We're just trying to just get into your head, man. I'm gratified. There's, you know, you know, I love to I love to autograph my books for people. But when somebody brings me an old dog-eared copy that you know is all chewed up, That's the I best. know they've really thumbed through it. Th- those are the co- those are the books I like to autograph the very most. Yeah, somebody brought me one uh, copy of the Brewmaster's Table once once, and it was broken in half. The spot the cover was gone. The spine was broken. It was in two pieces, and it was in a Ziploc bag. You know, and I decided, I was like, "This is the most awesome book I've ever seen." I definitely know what you mean. No, I mean when yeah. I look, when I, when I look yeah. at when, when yeah, I look, sure. when I look at the overall uh, thing here, and this is not a criticism; it's just a thought. It's like I say, okay, it says brew like a pro. It's like, well, in one way, I think you can't brew like a pro, don't want to brew like a pro, and that the main difference between a hobby and it's kind of what you said, a, a hobby and a job, is that you know, a hobby is just for fun. 
and you should let it you know let it run that way. I think that the home brewer has certain advantages, and the the professional brewer has certain advantages. And I, I understand what you're saying. You're showing people the stuff that you learned and how you can apply it. I think that you know I, I know that as a home cook, and I do cook in front of audiences too. There's a real difference between cooking for people at home and cooking for people in a restaurant. And if you, I'm I'm a pretty damn good cook, but if you put me in a restaurant kitchen on Saturday night, I'm like less than useless. And home, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and yeah. so home 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 brewing. I tell home brewers, and I think it's true. Home brewing actually bears no resemblance to brewing in a brewery. The same way that cooking at home bears no resemblance to working in a restaurant kitchen. There are no tickets coming in. You're not under that kind of pressure. It's, it's a whole different thing. But I understand what, what the direction that you're talking about, which is, you know, here's, here's an opportunity to learn what I learned in many years of professional brewing and how you can take your home brewing to a different level. Uh, yeah, well, I, I agree with you, Garrett, that, uh, yeah, all that pressure is missing, and that's, that's one of the things that's wonderful about uh, home brewing. And, yes, uh, it takes a different set of skills and really, in a lot of ways, a different mindset to do something for a living. Having worked in brew pubs for a long time, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm also uh, somebody who does a lot of cooking at home, and I can't imagine anything that would be uh, less like what I do at home than, than you know, trying to cook in a, in a restaurant, in a, kitchen, in, a, in a restaurant kitchen on a Friday night. Uh, but, but the process is the same. What, what, what it shares, you know, what cooking shares, however you do it, is, is that there's a process that you, that you go through. And the better you understand that process, the better you're able to control that process, the better the results you're going to get. And a professional has to learn how that, has to learn how to control his process and, and manage, uh, manage it uh, the best he can to get the best possible result because he's a pro. But I think homebrewers could benefit from taking a professional approach, if you want to call it that, uh, in that, uh, if you understand it in that light, in the, in the light of so Dave, mastering, one thing, mastering the process in your book. and uh, being able to, uh, therefore, uh, know what you're going to get out at the end when you commence. Well, I, I think these days homebrewers are just so fantastically, um, I mean, many of them are in many ways every bit as sophisticated or more sophisticated than many professional brewers that I know about their understanding of, of process, you know, et cetera, which I think really separates homebrewing today from homebrewing when I was doing it, maybe when you were doing it. Uh, you know, we were making beer because it was the only way to get any. Um, and you know, I mean, we, we knew a lot and we thought we were pretty good, but you got guys at home with whole, they got PLCs, they got, I mean, temperature controls. Like I can change the, the temperature of my fermenter from my phone. And you're like, and there are times I kind of feel like, dude, you've taken all the fun out of it. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, I know what you mean about that. And, uh, <clears throat> you, you've got it. You, you're, 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 you're right to a degree, but I, I hope that, I hope that I'm able to contribute still in in the book uh, a few insights from somebody who's done it, you know, because I I look at the homebrewing scene today, and yes, I see a lot of sophistication, but I I still see I still think I see that uh, you know there's there's still some 
there, there's still something that I, I think I can uh, contribute uh, in my insight from, from my uh, years of uh, brewing professionally uh, to uh, help. Hey, Dave, uh, Dave, I'm, let me interrupt. Wait, wait, let me just say, I'm sure, I'm sure that's yeah. true. I mean, I, I want to read this book. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm not, that's not a criticism. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying that uh, I'm fascinated by the differences in the culture there. And I really want to read, like, how you've parsed this whole thing, because I've never read a book like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, way, I, the way I parse it is, uh, you know, I take, I take what, what I describe early on in the book. I take a minimalist approach. I'm 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 looking at how to how to do this how to how to master this process uh hopefully without having to break your budget. You know, you 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 mentioned uh things like, you know, brewers with PLC controls and so forth. And uh you know, basically in some ways some of those home breweries are more sophisticated than a lot of pub breweries are. Right, you know, your average pub brewery you 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 can't do anything about the temperature. You just better mix the mash you just better get your mash mixed right because once you do it, you, there's nothing you can do to change the temperature. You know what I mean, Dave? Let, let me just step, so, Dave, 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 bring it back. Um, I just want to cover a little bit more of your book. I know that the, the subtitle is "Brew Like a Pro: Make Pub Style Draft Beer at Home." What oh, is yeah. what is that key part to you? So, making the pub style draft beer at home. What yeah. what does a home brewer need to do uh, that that you know that they don't? Uh, what, what, what does a brewer need to do? Well, the first thing he needs to do is forget about bottles. First thing I tell, one of the first things I tell, tell the readers is, you want to make, you want to make beer at home, take, take the, take, take this approach. Uh, look at what you, what will, what will really help you. Look at what you're in this for. You're in this to make good beer. You don't need to be spending hours and hours and hours delabeling bottles, cleaning bottles, doing all of that work. Build yourself a draft system right from the start, and you'll spend your time making beer instead of uh, being being a, a low-level cleaning slave. Well, how would you ever that's, that's achieve an Zen enlightenment? Of, you know, <laughs> I took to it. Dave, listen... Um, you know your your book's coming out by Story Publishing. They have a lot of really good books about beer. Joe and Dennis Fisher, Homebrewer's Garden, one of my favorite books. When is your mm-hmm. book coming out? Uh, it comes out on November the twenty uh, eighth. So next week. That's awesome. That's right, um, Dave. We're gonna we're gonna take a short break. Would you stay on the line with us? And and when oh, we sure. come back, we'll talk more about uh, some local brew pubs and things like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This one's called She Was Only Two by Pamela Royal on Beer Sessions Radio.
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're here at Roberta's in Bushwick. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We've got a great show tonight. We're talking about beer books and uh, how to brew like a pro with Dave Miller and uh, Garrett Oliver and Ken from Crossroads up in Athens, New York. And we're joined by Brandon Moore, a rep, uh, New York City beer rep at American Beer Distributors, one of the oldest family-owned distributorships in New York. All right. Dave, uh, Dave you're still on the air, right? Yeah. Okay, all right. So we're going to talk about um, some other things. We're going to talk about uh, brew pubs and, and uh, actually... So first, tell us how you got started. You started as a home brewer, and then you ended up at Blackstone in Nashville. Uh, how, how did you go from being a home brewer to being a pro? Uh, well, I pretty much had to kind of... <laughs> what happened was I started, I started home brewing. Uh, I pretty quickly got the idea that I wanted to, I wanted to start making beer from grain. And uh, when, I, when I had done some of that, I, I just went, at a certain point, I don't know exactly where the tipping point was, but sometime in the early 1980s, I started reading stories about uh, how out in California and in, in Washington, people were coming up with this new concept of brew pubs. And uh, I thought, geez, I want to do this. I, in other words, I went nuts. I wanted. I wanted. To, I, I decided I wanted to do this for a living, and uh, and uh, then uh, uh, we had we had formed a uh, a home brewing club in St. Louis, where I was then living uh, in the mid nineteen eighties. Uh, my friend John Sterling, uh, who has a little nice piece about my book on the back of the cover, if you noticed, uh, who was actually the founder of the St. Louis Brews. Uh, and I formed a little, uh, well, I guess you'd call it a political action committee uh, with the intention of getting uh, brew pubs legalized in the state of Missouri. Uh, and I did this with the idea that hopefully if we would, uh, if we would get, get them legalized, that uh, maybe I could hook up with some uh, entrepreneurial type who was interested in uh, owning a brew pub and, you know, might be willing to hire me. And I'm the luckiest guy in the world because it all worked out exactly the way I had hoped. Um, in the course of getting the, uh, the law passed, I, I met Tom Schlafly and Dan Kopman, uh, who are the principals of uh, Schlafly Beer, as you know. And uh, so uh, they Schlafly. hired me as their first brewmaster when we, got the, when we got the bill passed, and I started working for them. Well, that's terrific. Uh, one, one quick thing, uh, Dave. So one thing you mentioned... Um, you're talking about scaling up recipes, and this is where Garrett can weigh in. Um, you know, as a home brewer, you might make a typical what five gallon batch, and then you're going yeah. to a brew pub, you're making a fifteen barrel. Uh, how do you scale up your recipes? You know, t- to go from home brewing <laughs> to, to because that's a big issue. There's also the nano breweries now. People are making these real. I, I know guys are making half barrel batches, one barrel batches, and they even go up to five barrel batches. It takes them a long time to adjust. What is the scalability with beer? Why can't you just like quadruple or, or ten times the recipe. Yeah, well, we found, you know, I, I found out pretty quick uh, when I started working for Tom Schlafly that you can't do that. That uh, it, it doesn't work out too well. You can't just take a five-gallon recipe and multiply it by 100 and, and get a 15-barrel uh, recipe. Um, but... Uh, other than that, I just say you know you can you can you can you can start with that. If you have some experience, you might have uh, you might have an idea what kind of adjustments you need to make. Uh, you know that uh, 
whether that you'll 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 probably you know get less color for instance out of your special malts uh you know so you might have to you might have to adjust that but uh but it's really just a matter and on the other hand you're going to get a lot more hop utilization probably out of a bigger kettle than you will out of your 5 gallon homebrew kettle you just, yeah. you know but so Garrett, Garrett what I is it about I don't really know any rules for this well let, let's Garrett, your <laughs> your feedback i mean you, you started as a home brewer and you guys had a small brewery and now you've scaled up i mean what is the scalability in in, in beer you think that you could just like i said times 100 or times 10 and make the same beer but it's not the case no not the it, case, it, i'm afraid yeah not the case at all and it's and, and it's a good example of the sort of thing you know kind of like restaurant versus your home kitchen you know stuff that doesn't work and i've learned that the hard way doing over at brooklyn kitchen we do dinners and we cook for 25 people at a time and you kind of mm-hmm. learn the stuff that you can do for a few people at home and when you got to do 25 of them you know for example omelets Try to turn out twenty five omelets for people at once. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. D- doesn't work. Oh yeah, um, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Certain certain things, you know, you you wonder why why you seldom find uh, certain kinds of dishes featured at a restaurant, and then you think about what it's like to actually prepare them. It's like, oh, wait a minute, I don't have two quarts of melted butter. No, I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the secret of restaurant cooking. But, I mean, uh, I find that proportions are scalable, uh, proportions of, of malts. For example, if you have a recipe that's, say, you know, 70% pale malt and 10%, that's largely uh, 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 scalable. Uh, as Dave was saying, uh, hop utilization, bitterness is not scalable at all. Um, you know, you're good. that's the thing that is most likely to be off, uh, and it really depends on what else you're doing. Dry hopping turns out differently. Everything turns out differently. So, so we we actually do, do not we don't do it. I I do not do test brews. So when we brew at the brewery, we brew you know uh, twenty five or fifty barrels first shot. When we brew uh, up at Matt's, we brew five hundred barrels on the first shot. But yeah. I'm not. But I'm not going to go and make uh, uh, five gallons of something that I'm going to brew. 500 barrels of you know i mean i've been doing this for 20 something years if i don't know what's going to happen by now i probably should quit so uh, that's why yeah, I'm, that's I'd, why i'm I'd, here I'd, I'd agree with, <laughs> i'd agree with you garrett on that one uh it's it's uh it's really hard now it, it is true that all the major bre- you know the big industrial breweries do have pilot breweries and they do use uh uh and they do use them and uh you know from from what everybody tells me who, who works there, uh, you know, that the 15, they've got about a, it's approximately a 15 barrel, uh, pilot brewery at the Anheuser-Busch plant in St. Louis, and they can make, they can make Budweiser. Well, 15 barrels that. to 500, it turns out, is not nearly the same as five gallons to 15 barrels. You know, I that, mean, that, uh, yes. I, yeah, that I mean, was so- the next thing I was going to say <laughs> is that, you know, it's, it's, it's when, when you're talking about really, really small quantities, like five or 10 gallons, that you have trouble scaling up, I think. But we, I mean, I find that, uh, you know, most people have trouble. Like, we got a new brewery. We have two kettles. One's 25 and one's 50. Sometimes we use them both in the same day. And even scaling up some of our things like uh, brewing IPA on the new system, you know, we had different levels, different kind of bitterness. You know, uh, uh, our crush was different. You know, trying to work those things through and get the flavor profiles you know, it uh, uh, oh, yeah. it does ta- it does it does take uh, it does take uh, some time, yeah. and there are yeah. Well, your 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 new fifty that's a Rolex brew house, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know about this because we, you know, Blackstone's new shipping brewery is a is a Rolex, and uh, that they're 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 
the, the kettle arrangement is is quite different. So I'm not surprised that you'd have trouble if your if your other one is has if you have like an internal calandria on the one on the 25 that you you'd have trouble. Um, yeah, the new, the new thing. You, yeah, the new things like a jet Rolex, engine. Uh, well, how about this, so, uh, Garrett? So when when you guys expanded Brooklyn Brewery two years ago now, right? Yep. Um, was it hard picking the equipment that you would that you would buy? Um, yeah, it was an interesting process. Um, you know, we uh, uh, we ended up basically putting together a spreadsheet where we asked different people to bid on exactly the same set of equipment because what you found was that people were coming back and saying, well. If you want a 50-barrel system, this is basically what we would provide. And you find that people want to show apples and oranges. And what we want is apples to apples so that we can – and then we can, we can tweak later. So, you know, there was a, you know, a process that we, uh, that we went through. You know, we ended up with a, uh, you know, a, German, uh, uh, a German manufacturer uh, largely on the basis that we could get uh, higher efficiency – uh, uh, out of uh, out of that system than we could out of some other people who had bid, and uh, and we found that talking to other people who had the same equipment uh, that it was true, and basically figured out that over a relatively short period of time we would make up the difference in price uh, in getting say an extra five percent uh, uh, out of out of your malt. And again, that's one of those things that hopefully for somebody at home doesn't matter that much. You know, if you're if you're worrying about getting an extra three, four, five percent out of your malt at home, you really have a problem, and you need to <laughs> you need to consult somebody. You know, you're not you're not yeah you're not having nearly enough fun. But in a, but it, you know that's but like it, setting you know. your alarm clock five minutes fast. So you get up early. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. I don't know. Yeah, well, let's jump I'm, I'm over. Not so, sure I can go Dave, too. With that. I agree with yeah. Garrett, I agree with you, Garrett. That three percent, maybe you shouldn't worry about. But when I see when I see home brewers settling for seventy percent brew house efficiency, I shake my head and I wonder. You know, you oh, get yeah. to a certain point where you're going to have to, if you're going to accept that kind of efficiency, you have to scale up all your equipment. So, <laughs> Dave, Dave this is what I think. Your Even next, your next book scale. should be, Dave. Your next book should be teaching other pro brewers to brew better because <laughs> i get a feeling you've got a couple more books in you and you're you're missing brewing i know how hard hard, hard work that is but i want to turn you guys over to our other friend here ken from crossroads he's still just starting out he's got a small brew pub up in athens it's seven barrel system so why don't you guys turn your expertise to him so ken well what year were you founded yeah what year did you start we started uh we two years ago we started brewing um we're in our our we're coming up on uh, actually. I think it's it's going to be three years in September. Uh, let's see, where are we? November. It yes, goes, it goes fast. Yeah, it goes. <laughs> believe me, it's it's gone so quick. Um, so how did how did you decide on the system you have? There's seven barrels to start for a brew pub. It was actually I bought that system a very long time ago when I got the inkling that I was gonna, wanted to get into this business, and I actually ha- had it in storage for quite some time. Um, when we actually got the brewery up and running, uh, we were we were doing the build out. We found that some of the some of the components w- wasn't really going to work for us, so we swapped them out. And essentially, we ended up with uh, four seven barrel fermenters. I have a uh, a fourteen barrel fermenter, and we have a uh, a ten and a seven barrel uh, bright bright tanks that we use. Um, pretty much, just the opportunity arose for us to purchase that type of system. Um, it, w- it was good at the time, and, and, and like I said, I did hold, I held on to it for quite some time before we actually started brewing on it. Uh, it's a seven-barrel pub system. So, You want to tell us something about your coffee porter? 
Uh, the coffee porter. That would be Hutch Kugman's creation. Um, we use uh, f- freshly roasted uh, uh, a coffee from a local purveyor. Um, I personally, I, I, I love the flavor of it. Uh, I love the, the aroma. It's phenomenal. Um, a porter is not my favorite style of beer, um, but I do in- enjoy sipping on this uh, this one. Um, we also have the the, the IPA, which uh, again, like I said, is our our, our signature beer. Um, yeah, I just spilled some on my hands. It's, it's like I have hops. <laughs> As Brandon, yeah. is, so uh, where did you meet to Hutch Klugman? Uh, he, where did he used to brew before you had him? Well, Hutch Hutch was at Ithaca. Um, he originally started at Pelican Bay out in Oregon. Um, he did a, 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 a when I found him, he he was at Ithaca. He did, I believe, five to seven years up at uh, up in Lake Placid. Um, he went from a, a, a brew pub setting to a, 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 a kind of like a shift brewer, and at, I just found him at the right time. Uh, he wanted to get back into the brew pub scene, and 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 he's been with us ever since. You know, I, so. I will say there's a couple other small brewer, brewers that I know who did what you did. They bought the system first. Uh, up in Western Mass, there's uh, Wandering Star, Chris Post. Yeah, Chris, yeah. I think he bought yeah. his system three or four years before he ever found a location. And way out in uh, Oakland, uh, there's a dude named Roger Davis. It's uh, called Faction Brewing. He came out uh, about a year and a half ago and bought Captain Lawrence's old system. Oh, is that right? And yeah. figured out how to drive it out west, and he's still setting that up. So um, it's almost like, what is this, like a, a, a secondary market for used equipment? Is yeah, that what's much. going on now? Yeah, oh, and you... you we're actually in the market right now to up- upgrade some of our system. Uh, we're looking for a 15-barrel uh, bright tank. There is none. I mean, uh, it the, the the stuff, whether it's secondary market, brand new. If you're going to buy it brand new, you're going to wait forever. Secondary mar- market, if if as quickly as it's posted for sale, it's gone. I mean, what, what's going on with the industry right now is is, is phenomenal, uh, uh, the, the movement that's going on. So... It's and very, where very you are, are, are you at maximum capacity? I mean, with seven we, barrels, we how are many kegs maximum. could you really make in one year? We're, we're going to do 800 barrels this year, and that's about it. I mean, if we can add a, a, an additional conditioning tank, we may be able to bump it up to 1,000. But, I mean, we're, we're cranking. Uh, two years into it, um, when, when I wrote the business plan, I anticipated our first year to be at 350, second year at, at 600. We way, way surpassed that going in. My so. question, Kenny, is if you get if you're making 800 barrels a year, where is the stuff that's supposed to be coming to Brooklyn going? <laughs> <laughs> and you're you're still selling you're distributing that mostly yourself. Uh, most of the stuff, yeah, is up in the Hudson Valley. Um, oh, so that's what it is. We have uh, well, we like to, we like to get American begging for the beer. So, well, I, I have to say, you know, uh, from a you know just a purely technical point of view, uh, this IPA is awesome. I mean, it's really, really good. I mean, first of all, you know, I mean, just I'm looking at it as a brewer. It's super bright. You know, it's got, uh, you know, it's got great foam, you know, and it's uh, it's really nicely balanced. You know, I mean, uh, you know, he uses a different set of hops than I would use, but, you know, it's his thing. And I'm like, wow, that's really pretty sweet. It's like on the money. You know, it's uh, it has a certain level of perfection to it. It's it's really nice. Yeah, so do, you. do you credit your good beer to your brewer? Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, he, he, you know, he's given free reign to do whatever he wants. I think that's the enjoyment for him. Uh, like I said before, he came from a, a, a shift brewery setting. Um, 
and it, it, he lost a passion for it. Uh, you know, coming back, come, coming with us and working with us. I mean, he's he's brewing the stuff that he loves to brew, um, and he's having fun with it. Or at least I think he's having fun with it. He seems to be always smiling. <laughs> now, where was he before? Well, he was at he was at uh, Lake. He brewed up in Lake Placid, and then he was at Ithaca. But right. he originally started at Pelican Bay. And then I'm going to give a shout out to the, your distributor. One thing that's great in New York is uh, we have a lot of distributors, and Brandon Moore works at American Beer Distributor. It's a family-owned business, and what's great is they're like the incubator for small breweries. You know, Avery, a lot of Shelton Brothers, Captain Lawrence, a lot of a lot of small breweries started there, and as they grew, they moved on. And right now, I'm always looking to their their portfolio, and it's like they've got Carton in New Jersey and Crossroads from Athens, New York. Um, it, it's just they're a great resource, you know, for sourcing and distributing these small small yeah. guys. So, how did you meet American? How did you meet Joe in American Distributing? Uh, I actually met Joe quite quite a few years ago. Uh, I was I was working with another brewery, um, looking to sign on uh, a, a distributor, and basically we we interviewed the, the distributors throughout the tri-state area, and and at the time, you know uh, what this particular brewery was looking to do, uh, Joe didn't really feel that he was the guy. Um, Joe's kind of he's an interesting guy as far as with the what 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 types of beers that he distributes um i think he handles the product uh the way i want to see it handled and one of the reasons why i chose i mean obviously i I kept the relationship with him over the years anticipating that one day i would be able to you know get him my own product um i think they they do a phenomenal job placing the product where it needs to be um we're not shoving it down anyone's throat we don't need to be in every single bar um Again, we, we like the communication. Uh, these guys are always here. If there is an issue, um, I hear about it. So it was a very important decision uh, for us um, to, to sign up with, with a, a distributor that kind of we work together with and kind of really, really fit for us. Um, well, one last thing. We're, we're going to close out soon. But, hey, Dave, again, author of Brew Like a Pro, Dave Miller. Dave, do you have a question for, for Kenny from Crossroads or Garrett from Brooklyn before we close hey. out? I, I have one question for Kenny. Kenny, you're, you're, are you distributing draft only? Yes. Yes, right now we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds like a viable plan. I was thinking, you know, I, I can't imagine you have a bottling line if you've only got a seven-barrel brew house. No, no bottling line. Unfortunately, financially, we're not able to get to that level yeah. yet. So, Dave, <laughs> as, a, as a, a beer lover, so you're saying you love draft beer? I do too. I, I think that's really what I, for me. That's what's driving the craft beer industry. Going to a good place, getting a good, clean draft line with really good craft product. Garrett, any comments on draft versus bottle? Well, actually, I, I you know I uh, I was at you asked me to give you uh, to give uh, Kenny a piece of advice. Uh, you know, I'm going to give Kenny one piece of advice. I'm going to give it to you too because you just did it. Never ever call craft beer product. <laughs> I always, I always, you know, like some, every once in a while, one of my salespeople says that it's like the product, the product. Like, no, the product is like, you know, the Wonder Bread is like the product. You know, our stuff is beer. You know, do not do not refer to my beer as product. It makes me think of like maybe hair gel. Yeah, hair gel. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah, just, exactly. So on you Twitter, know, it's just hashtag craft beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's, it. Yeah, yeah. The word product is banned from yeah. our brewery. <laughs> Well, this, this is like a serious schooling for me, and I feel like I have to go back, and I'm going to read through 
Dave Miller's Brewlecker Pro one more time. I'm definitely going to go back to the 1997 The Good Beer book by Garrett Oliver and Timothy Harper, which is still one of my favorite books. Well, what you should be getting, of course, these days is the Oxford Companion to Beer. But once you've gotten Dave Miller's book, uh, the Oxford, if you want, you know, the Oxford Companion to Beer from Oxford University Press, uh, uh, which makes, of course, the perfect holiday gift. And in fact, I'm sure that Amazon's probably putting them together anyway, so they have a special package deal. You, you know, doing, I'm sure for us. Are you doing a book signing on that anytime soon? Uh, yeah. yeah, I I have one uh, uh, that'll be coming up with the folks on Orchard Street. I think they're called Top of the Hops. Top Hops. Uh, yes, Top Hops. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. And uh, that'll that'll be up. Uh, I know that we have a date, um, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Um, but if you look on uh, their website, I'm sure it's up, and I'll be uh, doing a signing there. Well, that was also another great book, Garrett, and thank you so much. We'll give a shout-out. Don't forget, uh, New York people know this, but the rest of the world, uh, there was a big hurricane here, and uh, people are doing relief efforts all around town. December 4th at Brooklyn Brewery, uh, there's a very special event, Drink for Good, that will benefit uh, many hurricane relief organizations, and you can check that out at brooklynbrewery.com. Uh, in Staten Island, which got hit, our friends at Adobe Blues are hosting the annual Brewery Appreciation Day, Sunday, November 25th. You can Great check spot. them out. Learn more about it at goodbrewsteel.com. And in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. But one more thing. December 1st, it's like Belgian Beer Day in New York. All my favorite beer bars, Spite and Dival, Jimmy's Number 43, and Mugs, all have a Belgian-related event. So, again, go to goodbrewsteel.com and you can learn more about it. Actually, some really cool stuff. The Spite and Dive one is Svanza. It's like specialty Cantillon and other Shelton Brothers stuff. Jimmy's number 43 has Battle of the Belgians, some really cool Be United imports, and Muggs has their uh, Split Thy Skull, I think. It's like the serious strong Belgian. So if you're in New York on December 1st, there's three cool places to go to try some of the best beers in the world. And thanks to Garrett, Ken, Brandon, and Dave. Dave Miller, Brew Like a Pro. Uh, thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor, and our engineer, Joe Galarraga. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.